Okay? <clears throat> I'm glad you're here. Uh, we've got a brand new year ahead of us, and let's just begin with a bracha um, for the great year. And uh, this, I'm drawing this from the, the Torah reading from Rosh Hashanah, and something that kind of came to me, just to, you know, we know that the, that the, that the Torah passage that we're reading is, is basically correlating or is the blueprint for, for the reality that's emerging. So, so this, this blessing is coming from the Torah portion that we're reading on Rosh Hashanah because I believe that it, 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 it contains a blessing within it which we're going to use to, you know, help to uh, really direct the, the energy, if you will, of the new year that's coming down in a positive way. So that's the, that's the intention behind this and it will be clear when I, when I, when I tell you the actual thought. Um, we're reading about the birth of Yitzchak. Yitzchak actually means laughter. Laughter means a reversal. So, meaning to say that if you study the uh, mechanics of why you laugh, of what makes something funny, if you will, uh, it's because you're expecting one thing and then it goes in a different direction. And so that's very surprising because you weren't expecting that. And then you laugh. That's the reaction. You laugh when you get surprised like that. So, so, so there's a, a, a phrase we say it, uh, it's actually, they say it in Yiddish, uh, people say it in English as well, um, which is that uh, man plans and God laughs. Meaning to say that we, we have our plans, but then God laughs, so to speak, because seen in this direction, he takes things in an unexpected way. So in other words, that's the laughter. It's that God is directing reality in a way that sort of transcends our plans. He listens to us and he incorporates, he takes us very seriously, but nonetheless, because God sees things so uh, uh, much more vastly far, encompassing our previous lives, our present life, where we're heading, where our future generations are heading, He's calculating all these things. God will send things in an unexpected direction almost all the time. So, so that's laughter because the mechanics of laughter are you're expecting one thing and then something else happens. <clears throat> now, interestingly, in this same Torah reading for Rosh Hashanah, we've got a second type of laughing, which is called, uh, in, in English, you can call it scoffing or mocking. So that type of laughter is the type of laughter that undermines the seriousness and um, importance of a point. It's a very different type of laughter. Um, they say that one well-timed joke, well-timed in the sense of like a uh, sniper, uh, one well-timed joke can undermine a hundred teachings of the rabbis. So meaning to say, and I'm sure we've all been in a situation like this, where someone is trying to say over something seriously, and then someone else says something sarcastic, and then people laugh, and the moment's gone, the moment's completely destroyed. And oftentimes the credibility of the uh, person trying to give over their, their thought or whatever it is, is destroyed as well. So you see how laughter can completely undermine as well. So this, is, this type of laughter we would call mocking or scoffing, right? Now, interestingly, this type of laughter is also referred to in the Torah portion of Rosh Hashanah. And the Hebrew word, just so you know, is mitzachik. Mitzachik. And um, that means mocking. 
but it has the letters of Yitzchak in there too. You see Tzadi, Ches, and Kuf. By the way, just just as a slight digression, but but just it's it's too classic and fantastic a Torah not to mention it. Yitzchak, um, the Balatorim points out, is like the whole like there's a whole story in the name of Yitzchak and just the letters of his name. So Yud, right? It's spelled Yud Sadi Ches Kuf. So Yud is the number ten because the tenth test of Avraham was the Akedas Yitzchak, right? Yitzchak was bound to the altar. That's the that's the Yud of Yitzchak. Tzadi is the second letter. Is the number ninety. Avraham, or, or rather Sarah, was 90 years old when Yitzchak was born. Then you have Ches, that's the number 8. He was the first person ever to be circumcised on the 8th day. Then you have Kuf, which is 100, which was the age of Avraham. So in the letters of Yitzchak, you have literally the entire story of his birth and the circumstances surrounding it. So amazing, amazing, uh, amazing Torah there. But, but let's, um, let's, let's recapture this thing and we're going to finish up in a second on this point. So the point is like this. Rosh Hashanah is when the new year is coming down. And I want to turn this into a, a, a brocha for all of us, right? Which is that we're reading about laughter. Laughter means reversal. So Hashem should bless us that this year, any, 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 any reversals that are needed in our lives, meaning to say, we've had a lack of this and we need more of that, right? Or things are going down and we want them to go up. So all those reversals should take place. And that's why we're reading about Yitzchak, whose laughter, which is a sudden change. Now, part two of the bracha. If there is something that's going right in our life. <laughs> we don't want that to become reversed. So that would be the mocking energy, meaning to say that's the laughter of negativity, meaning to say we're sending something in a bad direction. And so what happens with Yishmael in this, in this Parsha? He gets sent out of the house, meaning to say any reversals in our life as this new year comes should be exiled should be sent away, so that we're only left with positive changes and with no negative changes. Right? So, amen to that. Amen. And, and, and really, we really <clears throat> should just be surprised in the best, 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 best way. Um, okay. So now, now we're going into Sukkot. These are awesome days. The Medrash says that these are days without sin, that basically the the Yetzirah basically leaves us alone during these days between um, uh, Yom Kippur and Sukkot. And there are four days, which, you know, it's sort of like correlating with the Yudke Vavke. They're really like these awesome days where we're going to make for ourselves Sukkot. Well, I'm using that, that language deliberately because it's the only holiday that the Torah tells us that we have to make for ourselves. The other ones we can just sort of like we go into the flow of it because we're sort of like the, the, the original energy of that day is sort of like shooting through time and we're dwelling within that time. Bless you. But now, this is a little bit different. This is requiring a little bit more action from us because it says, make for yourself sukkahs. Not just make for yourself a sukkah, 
make for yourself the holiday itself. So there's a little bit more on the line, and we'll, we'll get into that. <clears throat> so I can tell you one thing, which is that all these teachings are, have multiple layers to them. And, you know, the reason why it says that these are days without sin is not because you won't necessarily think, um, you know, thoughts that you're not proud of um, or that you don't desire. Um, it, it, it doesn't mean that. It means that between everything that you have to accomplish just for your normal life and in order to prepare for the holiday and get the lulav in the esrik and to build the sukkah and everything like that, there is no time to do anything wrong. So, so it's, actually, it's actually talking about something which is a very big lesson and we'll just make the point. It's, a, it's just one of those uh, clear-cut lessons which is stay busy in your life, just in general. Stay busy. By the way, there's, there's really, you know, a, a, a larger sort of backdrop to this idea, which is that it's said that in the time of the flood, right, where people were doing, you know, all sorts of, uh, like, crazy stuff to the point where God literally said, I got to hit the reset button and start the world over again. Wow. So they were really involved in, in, in lots of uh, stuff that they shouldn't have been. It said that when one crop was planted... There was 40 years worth of food that was gotten from that one crop. So you know what that means? Lots of time on your hands. So if you have lots of time on your hands, probably not a great thing. You know? Meaning to say, busyness actually is a shield for you as well. So embrace busyness. Embrace it. Now, of course, everything is a straddling uh, a line. You don't want to get to yourself your place to yourself where you can't be in the moment and all the rest. All right, we'll just mention that, but everyone has to find the balance for themselves. But the point is, is that if you have too much time on your hands in general, either, and you don't have work for whatever reason, volunteer, you know, take on a project, give yourself hours. You know what I'm saying? Like if you say, well, right now I'm just trying to get a project going. Well, you say to yourself, okay, well, I'm going to work nine to five or longer than that. And that coffee shop is now my office, you know, so I'm going to get out of, I'm going to get out of bed and I'm going to report to a place. In other words, give yourself a level of structure because if you don't have that structure, then it, things tend to go south. Um, okay, so now let's, let's keep on going with Sukkot. Now Sukkot is like just, Sukkot is unbelievable. And one of the great teachings of Sukkot I heard from Rabbi Shlomo he said the following, that if you want to know how forgiven you were on Yom Kippur, the test is, how much at home do you feel in the sukkah? Whoa. Right? So that's, 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 a big, that's a big teaching. And we have to sort of unpack that. We have to kind of try to figure out what that means exactly. Um, so in order to sort of introduce the conversation of what that, that, that means or what that could mean, at least on one level, um, we have to go to the Gomorrah for a moment and uh, talk about the debate between Rabbi Kiva and Rabbi Eliezer as to what a sukkah was exactly. Because there are two opinions. One, Rabbi Kiva says something very sort of nuts and bolts, very, very, very practical. He says a sukkah were actual huts, physical huts, and that's what we dwelled in, 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 the, uh, in the desert. Rabbi Eliezer said, 
that they were the clouds of glory, the Anane HaKavid, that surrounded us, and that's what we dwelled in. And so, so now, now we've got to go deeper. Now, now, who do you think that we paskin like? Interestingly, we paskin like Rabbi Eliezer, so that they were the clouds of glory. So, so what are these huts and all the rest? What does it mean to live in the sukkah then? Because the mitzvah is to live in the sukkah. So, so listen to this. You see, I, I don't think ultimately there's a contradiction between the two opinions at all. What God is asking us is to live in the clouds of glory. You see, that's an expansive way of going through life. It's a way of understanding that God is protecting us wherever we go. It's a way of straddling earth and heaven. See, because the clouds of glory are an open manifestation of God's embrace of us throughout our lives. One of the most beautiful teachings that I ever heard, I think it was from Rabbi Chaim Shmuel Levitz, the Rosh Hashiva of Mir, was that there's something very beautiful. If you think about a mother holding her child, that uh, a young baby, like, let's say the mother is traveling around. Let's say right now the mother is in America, but then she gets on a flight, and then she's in, say, China. So... And then let's say she gets on another flight, and let's say she's in Australia. So the mother is going from place to place. But from the perspective of the baby, the baby has never moved. The baby is always in its mother's arms. So the, 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 the baby goes through life just understanding that it's constantly being embraced and protected. Right? That's its perspective. So that has to be our perspective as well. This is what it means to live to live in the clouds of glory. Now, like I say, there's no contradiction necessarily. You can live in a, in a physical hut, but where are you living? Where are your thoughts? Like one of the most important teachings, if I can say such a thing, of the Baal Shem Tov, is that you are where your thoughts are. This is, this is a very important teaching, you know? And it reminds me of another teaching, which I, I think is also very central and relates to that, builds on that, which is from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, who says that where you're holding, meaning to say whatever spiritual level you're holding on, is of much less importance than which direction are you going in and how quickly, <laughs> right? Meaning to say you can be holding at a high, high level, right? But if you're heading down fast, well, that doesn't really count for a lot, you know? Or you can be really at square one. I'm not keeping anything yet, you know? But I'm heading up fast, right? So where, who, so to speak, has, you know, is, 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 the, is the point man for God at that moment, you know? So, so it's, it's, it's the second person, right? So again, again, you can live in this physical sukkah that we're all building. But where are we living? Where are we really living? So, so Rabbi Eliezer is telling us we're living in the clouds of glory, which means that 
after we've rebuilt the world, after we've rebuilt the world, and what do I mean by that? Remember, there are 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And God created the world with 10 utterances, which correlate with 10 spherot, 10 different emanations of energy, which he combined to create the physical world. So we go through it day by day by day by day. And by the time we get to Yom Kippur, which is the 10th day, then we've sort of like recreated the world with God, right? And now, God says, now that this world exists, how are you going to live in this world? Now we have this world. How, how are we going to live with this world? You know, and so, so, so God says, live in a sukkah. Live in a sukkah, first and foremost. So what is a sukkah? So there's, um, there's a way of spelling the word sukkah, samich vav chaf hey, right? So this is spelling it with a vav. And if you add those letters together, samich, vav, chaf, and hey, then you get to this unbelievable landmark number in Torah, which is 91. So everybody knows the number 91 is the combination of two very central names of Hashem, the Yudke Vavke, which is 26, and Aleph, Dalud, Nun, and Yud, also pronounced Adonai, which is 65. So 65 and 26 is 91. So what are those two names of God signifying? Heaven and earth. Or as Reb Shlomo put it one time, the Yudke Vavke is Hashem, master beyond boundaries, and the Aleph, Dalad, Nun, and Yud is Hashem, who is the master within boundaries, meaning to say that God is directing all of nature's, all of nature, all of the, all of the constructs of what we call Teva, of this world. So when you put those two together, then you unify the name of Hashem, and you show that absolutely everything is under the embrace, the loving embrace of Hashem. So the sukkah, which is 91, is that construct which is bridging heaven and earth. You see, can you imagine if, God forbid, we're reconstructing the world and we make this beautiful, like, physical world at the end of Yom Kippur, and then we walk into it and we lock ourselves into this physical construct, and then we're back in prison. So what did you just do? You just, you just built a new prison for yourself. So, no. God says, okay, now that you've built a new world, don't build a new prison for yourself. The first thing that you have to understand is you have to realize that heaven and earth are coming together. That there's an unbroken spectrum between this world and the next that this world doesn't stop, that there are dimensions of reality, the primary dimensions of reality by far, that we can't even see with our eyes, but that we're dwelling in nonetheless. And so Sukkot is coming to tell us that we've got to have this expanse of consciousness. We have to live in the clouds of glory, live in God's embrace, live in this sort of like understanding that it just doesn't end 
where, where it looks like it ends, meaning to say, meaning to say, when we look at each other. So everybody knows that there are five parts to the soul and that the two highest aspects of the soul, the Chaya and the Yechida, extend from outside your body all the way up to the Kisei covet to the throne of glory. That means that when you look at another person, do you think that they just stop at the top of their head? Right? Every single person is this celestial giant. Every single person extends from their feet on the ground all the way up to the throne of glory. Every single person. See, this is why the schach can't be a roof, a classic roof. What makes a sukkah a sukkah more than anything else, halachically speaking? The answer is the roof. The roof cannot be made of metal. The roof cannot be a partition that separates heaven and earth. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. The whole point is that the roof has to be open. The whole point is that when you go into any sort of situation, whatever life brings you to, whatever situation you walk into, you have to realize you're not trapped in that situation. You're not alone. It's not just you and the other person. There's God is there all the time. That's the notion of an open roof, right? We talked about it for a brief moment on Yom Kippur, the concept of Shalom bias. What, what, is, what does Shalom bias mean? So, so literally translated, it means peace in the home. But Shalom is also a name of Hashem. It means Hashem in the home, right? Okay, so, so then what does that mean? So, so Reb Shlomo said one time that most people think Shalom bias is, I'm not yelling at you and you're not yelling at me. So he said, that's, that's, that's just a ceasefire. That's, that's different. That's different from Shalom bias. Shalom bias means that you're aware of the fact that you're living with God. By the way, that's the, that's the name of the website domain of these talks, livingwithgod.org. You know? So um, even though... Uh, anyway, for what it's worth, I was trying to think of a, something to call this thing like about, I don't know, close to 10 years ago. I was like, well, what am I trying to do? Oh, yeah, living with God. All right, let's see if that one's available. <laughs> ah, it's available. <laughs> now it's not available, by the way. You know why? Because I have. <laughs> so, anyway. Um, so, so, actually, we all have it, is the truth. Um, uh, in the more meaningful way. Uh, so, 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 let's keep on going. So there's a, there's a, there's a, the, the idea is that you have to live this way. You have to live in the sukkah. See, this is, this is, um, this is the, this is the challenge that Torah and Hashem, Judaism, puts before every single one of us, which is that these aren't just ideas that actually we have to live this way. We have to actually live these teachings. So, so that's, that's why we have to live in the sukkah. Because there's no substitute for actually doing it. If you want to integrate something into your life, it has to be done through action. Because human beings, like Hasidus talks about this all the time, Chabad is huge on this actually which is this 
paradigm, which splits things into three categories, thought, speech, and action. Thought, speech, and action. It's all about those three. Thought, speech, and action. If you want to find a way of um, some kind of model to sort of um, uh, present the human experience, it's thought, speech, and action, right? And action, remember, Kabbalistically speaking, we talk about four, four worlds, which is not four separate planets, but, but one, one world, which has four main stratas of energy, going from the spiritual to the material. And we live in the most material realm. This dimension is called Olam Asiya, which means the world of action. So if a person just thinks that they can realize themselves just through the dimensions of thought and speech and not through action, when the address of this realm that we live in is action, they're kidding themselves. They're just kidding themselves. Now, it doesn't mean that we're ready in our life, whatever it is, to take on whatever practice. You know, sometimes it can be counterproductive to take on a practice that we're not ready for at the moment, right? But then we need a guide. We need, remember, like Hillel says, if, if not me, who? If not now, when? Right? So we actually need a plan. And if our plan is that um, I'm not going to take on something till I'm ready for it, that's actually not a plan. That's the Yetzirah telling you that you have a plan. <laughs> that's actually a very elaborate excuse. It can be a plan in the short term, but in the long term it's not a plan. Because one needs to have some form of structure when we talk about plans. Right? Believe me, I'm talking to myself too. Um, so... So, when I'm ready is not a plan. When I'm ready is a very snake-like, alluring, you know, whatever, to get us to never do something. Right? It, it can be very practical if, in fact, we're not ready, and, in fact, we're in a structured relationship with someone who's helping to guide us. Then it can be a plan. But if it's just the go-to in general for my life, then it's not a plan anymore. So, so interestingly, we're supposed to also sleep in the sukkah. So you say, if you can. So I don't, I don't know if, if, if it's... You have to ask a rabbi if it's right for a woman to sleep alone in a sukkah outdoors and everything like that. It may not be even permissible. So you have to figure out what the... What the uh, what the actual circumstances as they apply to you are. But if you, but, but in a perfect world, you're supposed to also sleep in a sukkah. Now that's, that's really interesting to me also, because if we're talking about the whole idea of being in a sukkah is the idea that there's no roof, that our awareness is the expansiveness of the clouds of glory, right? That we, that we, that we're living in reality, that we're, that, 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 that that's, that we're not just reconstructing a brand new world to make a new prison for ourselves to inhabit, but that we're actually living in this expansive construct called this new world. And we have to actually live in it because we have to actually do it so that it gets into our bones and that that we realize the reality of it. Okay, great. So why do I have to sleep in it? 
when I'm sleeping in it, my, my conscious mind is shut down. And then how am I benefiting from it? Right? <clears throat> well, I would say two answers to that. One is, you know, I'd be really curious, maybe if I remember, one of the questions I'll ask after 120 is, what percent of what I did in my life was driven by my conscious mind and what percent was driven by my unconscious mind? You know, <laughs> like, you know, and... <laughs> And if the answer I got back was 80% was driven by my unconscious mind, I don't think I'd be surprised. Right now, I probably think that the majority is driven by my conscious mind, but could be that the great majority is driven by my unconscious mind. I don't know the answer to that. But I do know if I'm sleeping in the sukkah that all these teachings are also imprinting themselves on my unconscious mind. Right? And I remember that more than once I saw this where, you know, when Reb Shlomo would teach, you know, sometimes people ask me, like, how would he teach? Like, what, what was that experience? So I'll tell you. So here in Los Angeles, he would go to, um, he was housed by the Richies. He gave uh, uh, Dr. Richie Smicha, so Rabbi Richie. They live in uh, Bayit Vagan now in Yerushalayim. And, um, and they had a house it's, you'll see why I remember the address, 613 <laughs> North Las Palmas. So that's where Reb Shlomo would say at 613 North Las Palmas. And he would stay with them. And then at, during the nights that he was here, he would have a teaching in their living room. And he would, they would set up chairs, and he would sit in a chair, and he would have his guitar out, and he would play, you know, a few songs, but it wasn't a concert by any means. People would sing. He was just summoning inspiration. And then he'd have a big book in front of him, usually Rebbe Nachman, or maybe it was the Mea Shalolach, the Ishbitzer Rebbe. Those were often the two uh, svarim that he would have. And then he would just start to learn. And then the teachings would go for hours and hours. And then he would just, you know, at a certain point, would just play another song. And that's what it would be. And um, people would go to sleep, you know, because they were tired and the teachings were long. So, so more than once, someone I saw someone turn to Reb Shlomo and go to wake someone up who was sleeping. And I, I remember Reb Shlomo saying, he, he just sort of like smiled and said, don't worry, these teachings go through to their, to their unconscious, you know. Like, the, like all this stuff, it doesn't matter if he's sleeping, he's, he's, still, get, he's still getting it. And I, was, I, I just, I love that for a few reasons. One, that he was just totally cool with everyone just being asleep, you know, or not everyone, but whoever fell asleep, you know, like he didn't, it was no, no uh, insult to him on any level, the, the, the opposite. And the, the second, that he thought that just the fact that they were there, he was giving them schus. But I think that he also believed that something actually was going into their unconscious mind and into their soul, um, whether they were awake or not. The next reason that I think that it's valuable to, to sleep in the sukkah, even though you're not conscious, right, is because you get the awesome experience of waking up in a sukkah. <laughs> right? And I've been fortunate enough to, to sleep in a sukkah for many years now. And 
I think probably the best part is waking up in the sukkah. You know, you get to wake up with God, you know? You're like really waking up with God, you know? And... It's... It's nice. You know, I remember Rabbi Shlomo said one time that the three meals of Shabbos correlate with the three avos. That Friday night dinner correlates with Avraham Avinu. So how does that work? Well, Avraham Avinu was the first Jew, right? So that means that he separated himself on some level from the rest of the population. So when Shabbos comes in on Friday night, Shabbos itself is separating itself from the other days of the week. It's its own energy, right? So that's Avraham Avinu. Yitzchak, and this is why I'm bringing this up right now, Yitzchak never left the land of Israel, right? Yitzchak is lunch. So Yitzchak, like, like was born in Israel, and he died in Israel, and he never left Israel. So by the time you wake up, you wake up in Shabbos, that's like Yitzchak, right? Because, you know, remember, there are three dimensions of reality, which is time, space, and soul. And... Shabbos in time correlates with Israel in space. That's Rav Tzadakakot. So if you want to know where is the physical construct of Shabbos in this world, the answer is the land of Israel. Okay? So when you're in Israel, you're literally living in Shabbos. So, so that's the idea of Yitzchak, is that Yitzchak wakes up, right? Yitzchak is born into Shabbos. Right? He's born into the land of Israel. Then you take a nap on Shabbos, right? And you wake up, and you know what? It's still Shabbos. <laughs> so you're waking up in Shabbos. You know? it's, it's awesome. So that's Yitzchak. So, and then Yaakov is his is third meal. Um, by the way, I forgot to say it yesterday. I wish I had said it. Um, Rabbi Wolfson just brought down, you can just file this away the next time... Uh, Yom Kippur is on Shabbos. You know, among the many other great things about Ni'ilah, we were talking about the greatness of Ni'ilah, um, uh, you know, the fact that it's only one time a year do you say five Shmona Esres, and that correlates with the five levels of the soul. So the Shmona Esrei of Ni'ilah correlates with the Echida, which is the highest level. So that's the only time all year. You know, I had this visualization during Nila yesterday that it's sort of like if you imagine this platform that sort of rises up from the earth all the way up into the highest heavens. During Nila, you're standing on this platform, you know, on top of the highest heavens, you know? It's, it's amazing. But when Yom Kippur is on Shabbos like it was yesterday, Nila happens during Shalashudas. And Shalashudas is the highest time of Shabbos. Right? This is just telling you that Yaakov correlates with Shalashudas. So there is, a, there is an extra dimension of yesterday's Ni'ilah that I didn't have, remember to say. But anyway, just like I say, you can file it away. Oh, there's another awesome teaching. I'm mean, just, just remembering that I forgot to say also. Boy, this was the best teaching. Oh, well. Anyway, I'll say it now, just again, so you can file it away. You can tell other people next time that it happens, next Ni'ilah. Which is, um, so who says it? The Chasim Sofer. Um, that uh,
that when Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu that if he davens one more prayer, right, he'll, he'll get into Israel, but that he shouldn't do it. Because this is after 515 prayers. Remember, that's Gematria Vieschanan. This is Parshas Vieschanan. Moshe is at the end of his life and he wants to go into the land of Israel. He's already davened. The Vilna Gon says 515 different prayers, right? And now Hashem says, you know what? If you, if you daven one more, then I'm going to have to answer it. And it's ultimately not going to be for the best. But here you hear this amazing idea that this 516th prayer will be answered, right? That's the headline here. So the Chasm Sofer says that this happened. I believe he says that we'd have to do the math. But if my memory serves, he says that this conversation happened on the 17th of Tammuz. And that if you count 515 prayers, including all the Musafs and everything like that, the 516th Shmona Esrei is Ni'ilah on the calendar every wow. year. So that's the prayer that correlates with the one that just has to, just has to go. Yeah. So, um, all right. So, so, so now, now let's get back to just Sukkot and we can wrap it up. Just this idea that Sukkot is this holiday that the Torah tells us that we have to make. That we have to make. So, on some level, this is true for everything. But the Torah is telling us that it's more true. It's more true for Sukkot. Because, you see, it says in the Talmud, everything is in the hands of heaven except Yerushalayim. Right, the awe of heaven. Or remember, Yira has two components. There's the upper level of Yira, which is awe, which is your mind is constantly being blown by the holiness of God. And then there's the lower level of Yira, which is fear of punishment, which is, wow, if I don't get this right, I'm going to get whacked. Right? So ideally, we're all striving for the upper levels of Yira, but at the same time, you know, that's also built on a firm foundation that God is running the world. God's the master of this world. So there's, even in the higher levels of Yira, it also incorporates the lower levels of Yira because every spiritual ladder needs a foundation that you build on. If someone is just kind of floating out there, they're not really living the Torah vision. They've got some good Torah ideas and that's a place to start. But sometimes it's kind of tricky and this is kind of the challenge for Baal Chuvas, like, like myself, like all of us. We're trying to construct the house from the roof down. <laughs> Which, it's, it's kind of hard to do. Imagine trying to build a house from the roof down. It's like, how do you do it? Really, honestly, honestly, how do you do it? You've got to be really blessed to, 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 to land on the right side of that, you know? Because there's some certain basics that a lot of people, even very sincerely motivated people, lack. And one of those essential foundations is, hey, this is God's world, period, end. Mm. Period, end. You know, and if I want to say, no, really, I'm in charge. And when I do mitzvahs, I'm doing God a favor. And I'm a great guy, right? that that's not a real foundation for living in this world. You know, you can also do, you know, all these things and, and be a great guy. It's not, 
it's not a question of that. It can be a righteous, holy person. That's what we all strive for. But, but the foundations have to be in place. So, so what does it mean that we, we have to m- make for ourselves sukkahs? So, so like I say, it says in the Talmud, everything is in the hands of heaven except this awe of heaven or this fear of heaven, this yira shamayim. That's up to us. That's up to us, which means that God runs the world, but we choose how we want to live in this world. That's, that's the amazing X factor to existence. That's why this world is such a crazy place. Because human beings get to decide how they want to live in this world. And what they decide is true, and what they decide is not true. But the big mistake that everyone makes is that if I decide something's not true, it isn't true. And that's sometimes the case interpersonally, right? Right? But, but, but sometimes it's not the case. Because I can say, you see that train? That's not the local Broadway IRT, that's a chariot going to heaven. (laughs) And you know what? When I get on it, I'm still going to be at 72nd Street. You know? So I can decide whatever I like. But that's the local Broadway IRT. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. So I can... so, So there's certain things that we can decide. And there's certain things where we're just kidding ourselves. We're just kidding ourselves. And so, so the sukkah comes along after we've built over these 10 amazing days this brand new world. And the sukkah says, what kind of consciousness are you going to build for yourself going into the new world? What world are you going to decide with this free choice? Because... Everything is in the hands of heaven except Yerushalayim, except the awe or fear of heaven. That's in your hands. What kind of world now are you going to decide to live in now that you've made this new world? And so God tells you, make a sukkah. Make a sukkah. Live in that world. Live in the world where heaven and earth are completely combined. Where there's no top, where there's no roof, where there's no limit. Wow. You said that you can look at a train and saying this is a train, a chariot to heaven, but it's really a train going to Seventy Second Street. Right. Um, when you said it at first, I was like, "Wow, nice! I want to see the train like that." Too. But then you were like, "Wait a second, that's actually a deluded way of seeing." Um, so my question is, what is it unhealthy, or where's that line? Like, I mean, isn't it if we're trying to unify God's name in everything we do? Isn't it good to go into a supermarket and say, I'm entering into another, like, gateway for God, everything I do is going to be, or is that, again, dangerous, or what Okay, so I would say, okay, so I would say, I could say, um, you know, this is, this is a chariot to heaven, Mm -hmm. 
to the extent, to the extent that I can now go into the subway and I can look for an opportunity to lift someone else up. But not thinking the next stop is Shemayim. If I know that the next stop is 72nd Street, then I'm living in reality. But I'm living in an elevated reality because I'm seeing every interaction with every human being that I'm going to have as an opportunity to lift them up to a higher place. Right? So that's the, that I would say would be using that example, the separating line. Right? Because there's a certain point where, <clears throat> like, like um, um, uh, one of the teachers that I've learned with, with many years, with, where I would sort of like, we would go back and forth, and then I would say something, and then he would say to me, that far we don't go. <laughs> so at a certain point, you, you have to realize when a, when a metaphor is just a metaphor, because a metaphor can be a very practical way of guiding us to a good place. But then if we take it too far, now we've, we've abused the metaphor. We've abused the teaching, actually. Right? Yeah. So, so and, then, and then that's the learning process. So where does that teaching end? Like one of the things that I, I've said over the years, and I'm a strong proponent of, is this idea of doing a 360 around teachings. And what I mean to say by that is you have to know when you learn something, okay, so now I love that teaching, or let's say, or, but when doesn't it apply? Right? Because, because we have to tell the truth. We must tell the truth. But, you know, the example I always like to give is that if a person's grandmother gives them some chicken soup, you know, as this act of love, and it tastes terrible, and, and she says to you, how is it? There's only one answer to that question, which is that it's delicious. So you say, ah, oh, but I just in- attended the most inspiring shear and I learned always to tell the truth. And now this is really, I'm sacrificing my own integrity because I really want to tell you that it's delicious, but that would be a lie. So for the good of all of us, grandmother, you, you, you have failed. <laughs> you, you, you know? That's not Torah. That's not Torah. So you say, but, ah, but I just lied. Yeah, but, but, but you didn't lie. Because why didn't you lie? Because she didn't ask you, is the chicken soup good? Those are the words she used. What she asked you is, do you see how much I love you? That's what she just asked you. And by saying the chicken soup is good, what you're answering is, yes, Grandma, I see how much you love me, and I love you too. Right? So there are different examples where, but this is something that where a person has to really learn. Because otherwise you say, oh, this is an example where I don't have to keep this, or I don't have to keep that. That's just fooling oneself. That, that, that type, that level of sophistication comes when a person learns, and a person actually has to learn halacha in order to have that level of sophistication. In other words, one's spiritual radar will be sometimes a help and sometimes a complete hindrance for them to make the right call in those situations. Right? They have to actually steep themselves in learning to do that. Yeah, sure. Uh, So I I love the the way you were talking about the sukkahs, the connection between heaven and earth, you know, 
Um, so could you help synthesize this, that with this other concept of the sukkah being a temporary thing? Right. Okay, so one of my favorite teachings, actually, is, um, is this idea that, w- w- that um, it says that Yaakov Avinu, yeah, um, it says this in the Torah, but um, um, I always forget whether it's Reb Lebel or the Ishvitzer says this, but that Yaakov, that Yaakov Avinu made um, sukkahs for his animals, right? And then it says that he called the town sukkah, right? And so the question is, if the whole idea of a sukkah is a temporary dwelling place, why did he name the town sukkah, which has a level of permanence, right? And so this unbelievable Torah, he wanted to make permanent the idea of impermanence, <laughs> right? You hear? Yeah. So that's, again, this is the greatness of the, of the mitzvahs. This is the greatness of Torah study, is that through the Torah, we're able to see the, the, the permanence of impermanence, but also the infinity and the eternity that's with us right now. Because this world is beyond the bounds of just the temporal. So you've got kind of like everything going on all at once. But, but these things need um, constant reminders. And I remember when I was younger, I really kind of bristled at that idea of mitzvot and brachas and all these things as constant reminders. It's sort of like, you know... I don't need that level of structure. That's, it's too much structure for me. And it's sort of like, again, a person is just simply kidding themselves. They're kidding themselves. And it's sort of like, it could be that you're in a period in your life where you, you, you might not need it. But over the course of your life, everyone needs it. We all need it. Because there's, just like there's gravity in the physical realm, there's actually gravity meaning that which pulls you down in the spiritual realm as well. Anyone who, can think, who thinks that they can live in this place of dreamy transcendence their whole life, again, is kidding themselves. Even if they're at a very high level, just, just naturally, they've been created with a very large soul. Even if, they, even if they have that, to maintain that, because remember, God doesn't just say, have really an uplifted weekend every once in a while. <laughs> The idea is that we want to do this for 80 years, 90 years, 120 years. And in order to do that, we have to literally defy gravity. We have to defy gravity. Remember, what is a human being called? Adam. Adam. Right? That, remember, because the first creation, the first human being was man and woman combined. Right? So Adam doesn't mean just man. It means man and woman. It means a human being. Right? So... Adam comes from the word Adama, which means earth, which is lazy. It's, it's just, it, it's dumb. You can really, I can really, you can be the best teacher in the world and try to teach a clod of earth, one plus one equals two. Good luck. It's never going to get it. It's never going to get it. And we're encased in that, we're encased in that earth, which on some deep level simply is never going to get it. Right? So we need, we need that, that superstructure, if you will, to, to, to keep us in wings, right? Any other questions? Sir? 
Yeah. One quick one. Oh, oh, I, I really like your your dreams of being in a sukkah and the unconscious mind getting in and how Shlomo said that you know even when you're learning and you're falling asleep, which happens to <laughs> the best at all, uh, you can learn and you can grow. Um, I wonder why, I, don't know, I guess maybe I shouldn't, it's unfair to, to, to say one particular group, but I've been in Chabad, no, no, they, Chabad yeah. they don't like to sleep in the sukkah, they're afraid right, right, of, it's of, true. of sleeping in the sukkah. It's true, they don't do it. Yeah. The custom is not to do it. I've heard they said it's because our minds aren't at a high enough level, or, or that right. when we're sleeping we... Right, you know, right, right, yeah. Um, yeah, it's true, but they're, they're the exception, and the, the, the normative halacha is to sleep in the sukkah. Nothing gets Chabad, to, but... It's to dwell, really. It's to, it's to dwell, but but when do you sleep in your own house? Yeah. Are you right? Okay, so... So, I mean, that's the way it's been understood from day one. They have their own reasons, so that's what it is, but that's that that's that's a, that's an exception. That's not the, that's not the as we say, the normative halacha. No, I've, I've been with you all night right. in a sukkah. I might have yeah. slept part of that time. <laughs> so that, right. that, that yeah. But I don't, if I don't yeah. have my own sukkah to sleep in, and I want to do that feeling that you, right. you're saying, should I go to someone else's sukkah? Yeah, try to go to someone else, but ask first. <laughs> <laughs> I just um, want to be sukkah there, come on. <laughs> yeah, oh wait, you did, oh no, it's your turn, yeah. Um, yeah. So I thought there were five realms, not four realms, each one corresponding to a different level of our soul, so I just wanted to double check that to make sure I'm on the same. But, you know, I don't really know much Kabbalah, and but I... I just, <laughs> Classically speaking, we say there's four realms. Okay. But then, even Atsilus, which is the highest of the realms, has, <laughs> even though it's, there's an infinite aspect to it, there is still some aspect of parameters around it, and then we have that which is beyond that. Right. But then, already, we're getting into the highest reaches of Hashem, so to speak. Mm. But practically speaking, in terms of the structure of the definable universe, mm-hmm. then we say four. Right. If, if I yeah. interject, yeah, sure. if I mean, there's five levels of the soul, right. yeah. there's four levels of the world. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. The other question goes back to the beginning, beginning of your talk. Right. When you mentioned that someone could say something right. as someone's giving a teaching that can really right. Undermine. damage. Are we then meant to, if that happens, imagine we're in a social situation that happens, right. are we meant to call that person out and say, hey, you know, that was really inappropriate and yet... It's tricky. It's 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 tricky. It's tricky because, a, you don't want to publicly embarrass anyone. Mm -hmm. So that's 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 definitely something that we always have to have in mind. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Maybe even first and foremost. Um, Two, it could actually just turn the whole thing into an argument. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to engage in what they call machlokas, which is something that's introduced divisions into a gathering. So it, it probably would be best served to maybe mention to the person, if only if you can, afterwards. Mm-hmm. But um, a lot of times, someone who makes a joke like that, you're lucky even that he was at the gathering to begin with. Mm-hmm. Meaning to say that, um, you know, like they talk about the four sons at the Pesach Seder, right? And the fourth son, who, or, or actually, I guess it's the second son, whatever it is, who's the wicked son, quote-unquote, right? But then, lately, I, I don't know who's the first to say it, but they talk about the fifth son. So who's the fifth son? That's the guy who didn't even show up, right? right? Which is a lot of people. They didn't just even bother to show up. So, so vis-a-vis the wicked son, at least he came. 
You understand? So this person who's making the joke, the point isn't so much that he made the joke, the point is that he came at all. Right? So that means that there's something to work with there. And then, and then it, you, you know, you kind of have to just take it on a case-by-case example. If it's someone who should know better at that point, then there might be an opportunity if there's someone who's close to him to gently bring it up in private. But even that is tricky. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So I have now two questions. One is, is there a, a book that you would recommend that has like the different concepts of Sukkot in it? Like it being about like man and woman and like all these various mm-hmm. types of thrushes. Um, I don't know. Of, I you know I always like the the art scroll books. They have them on on each of the holidays. Oh, okay. it, it might be a little more practical. I don't know how spiritual the teachings are going to be necessarily, but it will give you kind of like the basics anyway. Um, but. You know, I, I recommend everything that Rabbi Tzvi Freeman writes, and I, I was just looking at a an article of his on Sukkot uh, online, um, and um, that just came out. I can forward that to you if you like, but um, it's called the, uh, I think it's called the Freeman Files. Highly recommended. He's unbelievable. That's the name of the website. Uh, it's on Chabad.org, but it's the Freeman Files. What's another book by him also that you love? Yeah, Bringing Heaven Down to Earth, 365 Meditations from the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Wow. A classic, classic, a must book. And so my second question yeah. was, so can you go over the four realms that you're discussing in the five, four realms of the world or five realms of the soul? Like that so, you know, it, it's, it's a little technical, but basically, just, I'll just give you the, just the general concept. Yeah. The idea is it's one spectrum going from the most spiritual, light-filled, and compacting down, right? We use a word called simsum, compacting down till we get to physicality itself. Mm -hmm. So if you imagine, um, you know, water vapor becoming water, becoming ice. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's that's a way of envisioning it in in, in a this-world example. The molecule throughout is H2O. Water vapor, it's H2O. Water, it's H2O. Ice, it's H2O. In other words, that's, so to speak, Haviyochol, godliness, is God is just sort of like compacting his light until it exists in a, in, a, in, a, in a physicalized state, which means that this physical realm is condensed spirituality. That's what physicality is. It's condensed spirituality. Anyone else? We good? Okay. We're going to have a great circus. Yeah. Thank you.